Welcome to the Linnaean Society of London. If you know the extension of the... Please wait a moment. What I think is special about Natural History Museum collections, and more so than any other kind of museum collections, Natural History Museums are the only museums that can genuinely answer world-changing questions about how we live and how humans and everything else might survive on this planet. So when we look at Linnaeus's collections from the 18th century, we know that the species of butterfly lived at that exact location in Northern Europe at that exact date. Now, if we compare that that, that, species, that species distribution over time, if we look at the same place every, let's say, 20 years and see what collections and museums have been collected from that site, we can see whether, whether biodiversity is changing and we can postulate what is changing that. So today, climate change is obviously a massive, massive subject and museum collections are helping us answer what is climate change doing to, to non-diversity. So with butterflies, as I mentioned, we can see that actually a lot of butterflies are are spreading further north. So species that weren't breeding in the UK, for example, until very recently have crossed the channel and now managing to breed in the UK because it's getting warmer. Um, other parts of the world, we can see that uh, species that, that live in cold climates are being pushed further and further towards the poles or further and further up mountains. And if you live on an island like we do in the UK, there's not much further north you can go if you're at the very, very uh, southern tip of your range. There are some species like ptarmigan, which is a, is a species of, of grouse that we get in the UK. It's being pushed off the top of mountains in Scotland because uh, it's not cold enough the whole, the whole year round. And looking at, at what lived when, what these, these very precise museum records give us, allows us to answer these really important questions. My name is Jack Ashby and I'm the manager of the Grant Museum of Zoology at University College London and also the author of the book Animal Kingdom, A Natural History in 100 Objects and also a fellow of the Linnaean Society of London. I work in a museum and I work with thousands of objects and it's, it's amazing to be surrounded by these objects. Well, we all know when we work in museums that, that objects tell stories and we use them to tell stories about many, many different kinds of things because every object is the subject of various different biological processes. So what's interesting about museum specimens that were collected in the 1700s is that the people that collected them, like Linnaeus, would have had absolutely no idea with the kind of questions we could answer with them now. So he would obviously not have known about CT scanning. He wouldn't have known about uh, DNA and genetics. We can answer so many more questions that just couldn't have been envisaged about how evolution works, which was obviously not a big part of Linnaeus's agenda, and how climate change happens and what, what effects it has, and questions about biodiversity loss. And all of these things were not envisaged in the 18th century. And we don't know what answers we'll be able to provide in another hundred years' time when we've got a whole new suite of technologies. So when we're looking at museum objects, we can answer a load of different questions and explore a load of different topics about the major mechanisms that underlie life itself. So we're very excited. We've got three objects out of the vault uh, where the collections are stored at the Linnaean Society. Um, all collected by Linnaeus, the three insects that are going to help us talk about some different aspects of how evolution works. The first object is a narrow-bordered bee hawk moth, which is a hawk moth that looks like a bumblebee. 
What I want to talk about here is um, a process called Batesian mimicry, which is when a species that is completely harmless, like a hawk moth, has evolved to look like a species that is dangerous or distasteful, like bumblebees. Obviously, bumblebees have stings. That's a major defense mechanism for them. And these hawk moths have evolved to look like them because they are cheating their predators. They are pretending, uh, in evolutionary sense, obviously there's no intention here, but they are fooling the predators to make them think that they are dangerous. So things like birds and any other animals that might want to eat a bumblebee think the moth is a bumblebee and has a sting. So it's a very clever evolutionary trick. There's a problem with Batesian mimicry, and that's that if you get too many mimics, so too many harmless animals that look like dangerous ones, then the predators can unlearn the behavior so they can think, oh, look, there is a bright yellow and black species. That normally means that it's uh, dangerous, but if they eat a load of non-dangerous moths, then they can unlearn those behaviors. So this is a problem with Batesian mimicry. Got another object here which is a Heliconius butterfly. So this is a, a tropical South American butterfly. It's, it's got orange and black stripes on its wings, quite narrow wings. The Heliconius butterflies are a big group of butterflies that have all converged on the very similar markings. So this is called malarian mimicry. Malarian mimicry is a, is a system where a load of species converge on the same warning colors to increase that power. So it increases the likelihood that a predator will, will be meeting a truly distasteful or truly dangerous animals, it will decrease the chances of it unlearning the, the warning colours, the importance of the warning colours. If a bird were to eat one, or if a human were to eat one, it tastes absolutely disgusting. And that is why it's got these um, red and black markings, orange and black markings. These are classic warning colours, a close, classic aposomatic marking it's called. Aposomatic markings is when an animal's got true warning colours, so when it is brightly yellow and black, or yellow and orange, or white and black. Um, so things like bees and poison arrow frogs and ladybirds have all got these warning colors, and that's what we call aposomatic marking. So the last object I've got is a bumblebee. And what I want to talk about here is a very important aspect of life, and that's symbiosis. That's when two different species or two or more species live together and affect each other in some way. Uh, the mutualistic way, which is a, a form of, of symbiosis when both parties benefit. Thousands of insect species work in harmony with flowering plants. Bumblebees are, are pollinators. When the bumblebee visits a flower, it picks up nectar um, to eat, feed itself, and it picks up pollen to take back to the hive to feed its young. Um, but in so doing, because bumblebees are so furry, and because when they beat their wings, they, they produce an electric charge, like a static charge, uh, it tracks more bits of pollen onto their back. So much like if you rub a, a balloon against your jumper, it makes your hair stick to it. The, the electric charge on a bumblebee makes pollen stick to it. And then when it flies onto the next flower, it drops off some of that pollen onto the reproductive organs of the plant and the plant gains a pollination service. And in return, it gives, it gives food to the, the bumblebee and its young. And if you ever watch a bumblebee or any bee, you'll see that they, they're flying around a plant, but they don't visit every flower. And they don't waste time visiting a flower that hasn't got any nectar in it that the previous bee has already come to and, and drunk all of the nectar. And that electric charge um, is actually detectable by the, by the next uh, bumblebee. So when a, one bumblebee lands on a flower, while it's sat there drinking the nectar, 
it's, it's actually charging the plant itself with its electric charge. It's also dropping off a little bit of scent as well. So when the next bumblebee comes along, it can detect that the plant is charged and it can detect the previous bee's scent and know, oh, there's somebody who's visited here recently, um, so uh, I won't bother coming because the, the nectar's all gone. And in the time that it takes the nectar to, to be replenished by the flower, um, the, the scent and the electric charge wears off. So it's a really nice little signalling um, between different bees. My name is Jack Ashby and I'll be giving a lecture at the Linnaean Society of London on Wednesday the 6th of June where I'll be talking about Animal Kingdom, a natural history in 100 objects. <laughs>